Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. So it ended up being $300,000 in total that I invested, which if you know me and my background with my degrees and life experiences, you'd be just going, well, why did you do that? Um, but in my head and in the, the logical process that I'd gone through, I'd used my lawyers, I'd got through this process and done all these things to get set up. And unfortunately, the day that I, or the day I was about to switch the money over to him, and I did that, my friends who had been digging in the background, looking for his identity, and going, something's not right here, something's not right here, they found who he was. Hi, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry, and this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode. So, Tara, are we going to say that every time that we have a new episode? 100%, because every episode is a new episode, and it's great. Well, I guess at least until someone complains, but they never complain about you, so. Well, no, we did have a complaint the other day about me, about my likes. Oh, about your likes. Yes, and I acknowledge it. I'm working on it. It's a process. It's like a process. (laughs) Yes. Look, we all got stuff we can work on, me included. And hey, now that you guys are listening to this episode, we are currently on an airplane heading to where? Orlando, Florida to go to CrimeCon. We are heading to the world of Mickey Mouse. Yes, but you know, it started in California first, but the parks over there are probably better. I don't know if they're better. I think they're bigger, right? It's Disney World versus Disneyland. I feel like there's a land, but now there's the, the there's the Disney California Adventure, which you know has been out for like 20 years, and then there's the oh yeah the Star Wars Land. So that adds. I don't think they have that over in Florida. I don't think they have a Star Wars Land, do they? I have no idea. I have never been over there, but the Star Wars Land in Disneyland is just amazing. It's is pretty awesome. And we're going to get to see who today because we have a guest, Emma Ferris, but we're seeing who? We're going to see her sister, Sarah Ferris, at CrimeCon as well. There we go. Uh, and so it, we're keeping it all in the CrimeCon family. But yes, if you are in Orlando, Florida this weekend, come and check us out at CrimeCon at the... World Center Marriott. We're going to have a table there. We would love for people just to stop by, chit chat, say hi, maybe grab a t-shirt, and a, sticker. a book. I'll have Deb's book. Yes. Free stickers for people. Yeah. We'll be on podcast row with all the other podcasters. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to be doing a live podcast from the floor on my YouTube channel and on our social media stuff. Yes. Live podcasting. And then Sunday, we're going to be interviewing each other for our podcast live. Yes, we're going to be doing that too. I totally forgot about that. That's also happening. (laughs) Yep. Let's make it happen, Collier. Let's make it happen. Yes. In the world of CrimeCon. And we're going to get to see our friends. You know, we just just spoke to Justin from Generation Y. Uh, he's going to be there and because um, he's a he's a crime con OG, as he was telling us. And it's going to be a fun time. We're looking forward to seeing a lot of our peers and colleagues. And yes, it's going to be a good time. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot to tell you, Scott, from What Was That Like, that podcast that I was on, he's coming out too. And we're going to get to meet my relatives who are coming in yes. from uh, someplace in Florida, like not too far away, who I've never met. They're on my mother's side. I've never met them before. They're doing our family tree and I'm super excited just to meet them. It's going to be awesome. The Ledwith side of the family. I love that so much. Well, let's get into today's episode. It's about Emma Ferris. She conned her con artist back. She has a podcast about it. So we're going to get to know her story. Yeah. And her podcast is called Conning the Con. And her story is pretty, pretty good. And, you know, you dealt with a con artist. So you know a lot about this. Yeah. I hate those con artists. Yeah. They're tricky. Well, let's get into it, shall we? How much did you lose with him, like m financially? Financially, eighty-eight thousand, I think, was the final okay. around around ninety thousand New Zealand, so forty-five thousand US dollars. Wow, that's still a lot. It's significant, and it's funny, isn't it? Like I've had people go, "Well, I've lost this in the share market, or I've lost this in a house sale." I was like, "Were you dating the share market? Were they screwing you over at the same time?" Like it's it's the impact of the relationship piece that's the hardest. So did he think that you guys were engaged in a relationship when all this, because you're being prevaricative in your behavior with him, obviously. So did he, you know, for that two and a half months, you didn't see him and you were, did you, did you see him at all? Or did he think that you were still dating or did you have well, a conversation about that? Were you like, Hey baby, if he's calling you, Hey baby, were you like, Hey baby, I can't wait to see you. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just off. And, I mean, what, how does that work? Or as he says, like, he's on a secret agent assignment. I don't, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was that happening. So he's being a secret agent in Australia, but I also found out afterwards, cause this was the best thing about us doing our podcast is people came out of the woodwork. So we found out after the podcast launched that while he was still trying to converse with me and I was trying to get any money back I could. He was already on Tinder over in Australia dating another girl who she reached out afterwards, the podcast had come out and was just devastated. She goes, I was dating him. And I was like, well, how? He was only there for two and a half months. Like, how could you have been that involved? <laughs> and she's like, it was just broken me. I'm like, I dated him for six months and he took money from me and I'm not that broken. But it was just so much of a contrast of how he manipulated. So I, I knew we were in a relationship that was not what I wanted because he was a con man, but I kept up the conversation to be like, Hey, it's just the money. If you can, if we can get over this, then come back to New Zealand, then maybe we have a chance. It's like, we never would have a chance, but he would still be like, you know, it's, it's worth it what we had. And I'm like, yeah, basically it was disgusting. Just wanted to vomit every wow. time his name would come up. Yeah, abusers treat everyone differently too. So some people are like, wow, that was the love of my life. Some people are like, wow, that was a dick. Some people are like, um, I'm happy. Like, it was okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a level of it, isn't it? Yeah. And I think because the, the story for him, it just keeps coming as well. So while 
it felt like I was the only one being hurt originally. It was like, oh my goodness, no. We found out people that he'd hurt in New Zealand before me. And then now what's happening is the, or even then we heard of the crimes that he'd done in Australia, but fled to New Zealand to avoid. And now because he had to go back to Australia, he's now out for charges on that. And it's now going to the high court in September this year. So it's a bit of a like slight watch and wait. Uh, I kind of want to actually go to Australia to be in the court process, just to sit back and be like, I'm still watching, but it's not part of it. Cause it's not, so I guess for me, this isn't about revenge. This is about education, but I just want justice. And when you talked before, Collier, about, you know, that time of like, I didn't get justice in the end for time and for money back. That is nothing justice for me. The only justice I'm going to get is if I protect others. If I can stop other people going through that with him, because he wasn't going to stop. He'd already been changing his name a third time or a second time, I guess in Australia to Andrew John Lowry. Like that was the other stuff we kept uncovering going, this is insane. The guy does not give up. Well, there's serial, there's serial, serial predators. Like, yeah. you, you know. Yeah, and they never do give up. Yeah, but that wasn't my upbringing. I was like, <laughs> I didn't know a serial predator. Like the next guy, I'm like, oh, you, you're going to be the one that goes after me for all my money. It's like, that's just not a thing. You don't think it's going to happen to you or your, or your stories, right? That's just... They're unbelievable. Yeah, no, and it's funny, not funny, but the eerie similarities with, oh, John said he was aspired like the FBI or something, and I believed it at one point. I'm like, this guy has so many things going on. I do believe this. And it's, yeah. you, you can believe some of the stuff, and then some of the stuff you're like, I don't know, but I do believe yeah. it. Yeah, and actually that was the, the, the crazy thing. The fact that I'm talking to you now, Tara, you're a part of my story in a weird way. So we used to call him Dirty Andrew because, well, my sister Sarah started that actually. In January 2019, when I was still dating him, Sarah was like, you have to watch the series. You have to watch the Dirty John series. And I was like, okay, but I'm not really a true crime person. And so I sat down and watched it with him beside me. And oh. yeah, watching this reaction not knowing that he's currently conning me and he's like, oh. and then for the last few episodes, he's like, he could, he, he couldn't watch it with me apparently. And I'm watching going, this is crazy. I can't believe people do this. This is insane. And so, and Sierra just kept calling him dirty Andrew, which he didn't really enjoy that name after that <laughs> <laughs> casually. But I remember thinking as well, after I was in that sort of survival mode and the recovery, I was like, okay, people do this. They get through it. I don't know how, and that's why these stories are so important, right? Even though, like I, it was not the level of, of mortal danger that I know that many of you have been through, but it still felt like there's a level of knowing I didn't know what he was capable of. Everybody else around me was really fearful for my life and my safety. And I don't think I put that into, as even as an option when he was in the country for those two and a half weeks, I didn't know how he's going to behave. The police were said to me, oh, you know, he's not really a flight risk and he, he's not got a, a behavioral history of um, harming people. So you should be okay sort of thing. And then the next few days he jumps to Australia. I'm like, you can't say that. You can't, you can't know how someone's going to react. Right. So especially when they're put under pressure. Yeah. So yeah. I feel very lucky. Yeah, no, I was told that he wouldn't come after me. And look what happened. So every time when someone's in that situation, especially you, 
I'm happy. I, you know, I'm so happy you're here and alive. And it's unfortunate that these people exist, but we're here and we're talking about it now. And I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of you. I just, it's interesting seeing this journey of, of people speaking up. And one thing that really came through to me is this ability to fight afterwards, like learning to fight as a, a woman. It's not that you have to be as a woman, obviously, Collier, but what I wish I'd known earlier in my life was what I had to do that. Even though it was, that's what I taught myself afterwards, this physical process of you need to defend yourself. Everybody should know this as a safety piece. And it actually really helped my recovery. It was a weird process of healing, learning how to, and like, I'm not very good. <laughs> I did learn jujitsu at the age of 30 something, 37. And it was one of those weird things about taking the power back over that process. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I love that so much. Hmm. Yeah, so it's a, it was a roller coaster, and I remember sitting with this experience and going, I don't know what good's going to come of it, but I knew that I had to capture it. So, because I'm not someone that does recordings like this beforehand. My background is physiotherapist and breathing coach and stress and resilience coach. So when I was going through this stuff, and I was like, okay, this is a really good life lesson. I don't really want to be going through this, but I know the tools that I have can help me get through it, and that's why I'm going to choose to get to do this as best as possible. I think that was the reason why I wanted to make some good out of it, which is why we created the podcast, The Conning the Con. And that was really that if you go through moments of trauma like this, you've got to find either, the, not the lighter side, but a way that's going to help somebody else because speaking about it is not the easy option. This is the challenging option is coming back and talking about it today. Yeah. So true. And I love that you do breath work and everything. How does that help with healing other people's trauma? Yeah, well, I think the lessons in my experience gave me a very acute or lived experience around why our bodies get hijacked into that next level and why it's not so easy just to be like, okay, that happened. Let's bury it and put it away and pretend like we can recover. It's such a physiological, psychological, and emotional shock that you go through. And it's different from your normal day-to-day -day stresses or a chronic stress that you go through, right? So those, those things do creep in, whether it's financial pressure, whether it's illness or grief. Like those things are, are, are still stresses that I've been dealing with all my patients and clients as a physio. But this shock experience was a whole new level. And I realized that we actually have this in our lives at different different varieties, whether it's a loss of, a, of someone you love, whether it's um, loss of, or, you know, your life being in danger, those, those things are all bring on this impact into the body. So the lessons for me were around how you heal and that it's not a simple road to recovery. So you're getting pushed into trauma mode out of safety mode. And if you hadn't have a good bandwidth before this happened, it's going to be so much harder. And so the lessons were around this regulation of yourself. And because my evolutionary need to survive was just so triggered in that experience, everything got out of whack. So straight away, I knew my fatigue was coming in, my sleep was getting altered, uh, my body just, it didn't feel relaxed in, in so many ways. Even when I was in the survival mode for those first two and a half months, I would come back and I'd work on my breathing and I would shift my mind and I'd shift my emotions and try and dump out the stress that was coming through. But it was still a lot because you're grieving this process. You're going through such a, a physiological response to your life is in danger. And then when he got arrested, 
I felt like I could shift to a new space of recovery. And that recovery really was around, I guess, the, the place of like, what does it look like to heal? And it became a real discovery for me around what, what am I going to do on this journey? It's not good enough just to breathe and pretend it's going to be okay. Like that's part of your nervous system regulating. And it was, there were so many different tools that came through as part of this journey that taught me I could be in control. And what I'd lost was control of my body, control of my life, control of my finances. And every little building block that I did was going to help me move back to that and even telling the story. So the podcast became part of my healing, even though it was like raw and painful. I remember sitting with Sarah in London when I flew over to see her from New Zealand and trying to put the story out. It was like it just the physiological response of pain in the body telling it was awful. And it's not there now because I've learned to listen into the body and that the body keeps the score with it. There's a great book about that, actually. You've probably seen that one. Have you Yeah, read there's that book? been some rumors though about him lately. Oh. Um, that he may there and I've researched this a little bit. There's some articles, they're not they're very vague. Um, so there's been some essay like allegations against him. Interesting. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Piece of Bondicult. Uh yeah, right. Uh the guy, the yes. Yep. Yeah. The body kept a scorebook. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What I did learn though was the way that the that we do hold emotions, that we hold the physical reaction to it, and that if we don't figure out how to release the trauma response, then we can keep us stuck in that cycle. So it became that I had to have all these different tools. I learned how to shake my body. I learned that dancing was really important. Yes, breathing was really important, but a lot of the physical reactions were part of that shift for me to go into a state of recovery. I had to also honor the fact that my nervous system, my body, my inner battery had been so depleted. And it actually had been depleted before that because I'd been through some pregnancies that had made me feeling really unwell and got two amazing kids out of it, but still that took its toll. And then I'd been through the grief of, of divorce, which even though I'm very amicably divorced and we've got great friendship, it still takes its toll. So my body and nervous system was already kind of on a little bit of like a rebuild. And then that came along. And I, it really was this knowledge that it's going to take me much longer than a month to bounce back from this. It was, it was a good year to two years and of looking at what healing looked like. And that was from my, my gut, learning to actually listen to my gut brain, who had been screaming at me through that time with the red flags. And I tried, my head just kept dominating. It was just because I'd been brought up in this head-led life instead of listen to yourself, listen to what your body is saying. Your heart wasn't really saying this guy's the guy to trust or love or anything like that either. You're like, this is just, it's just nice to have. I'm just sick of the the bull crap that's going on with everybody else. I just want someone that my gut was like, get the out of there, mate. This is not good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know, what did you guys find? How did you guys heal from what you went through? Made a movie. <laughs> turned, into a, <laughs> turned into a podcast. I mean, you know, I mean, for me, I, I think that the, the biggest the biggest uh, thing for me was doing something artistic with what I went through, right? That was, I was an artist, I am an artist, and to be able to do that was was how I processed everything. But, it, uh, but I still process yeah. it. it. It's not like you just go, okay, that's done, and, and I can move on. I think a lot of people misinterpret that that uh, you can just get over it and stop talking about it, and this, that and the other. We were just discussing this earlier with someone 
that uh, you know a lot of people want to just you know go oh just get over it or or yeah. you can you as if you can put away it will always be something that's a part of you you can't erase that memory unless you, you know this is men in black and they blink and you know you erase your memory like you can't you can't do that so you just you cope with it in however you can positively you know you see a lot of people coping with the trauma of the things that they went through in such a negative way whether it be they uh, they carry on the cycle of abuse like energetic or epigenetics when they carry on the yep. cycle cycle of abuse or whether they get into self-harm or whether they, they get into substance abuse or whether they act out in violent ways in society and take the life of someone else or, or, or just, uh, you know, just consistently just live in that cycle. It, it's much better, I think, to live in that cycle of making a positive impact on the world because you feel good. Like, who doesn't want to feel good, right? You want to feel good. You don't want people to hurt like you did. You want to show them that there's a better way. But that's a choice. And you made a choice. I made a choice. And Terry's made a choice to shift that. People don't know they've got a choice. They get stuck in this place of survival and like, I just want to not feel the pain. It's like, you've actually got to experience the pain and know how to go through that. Mover Nation, you guys all know how I lead a really busy life, right? And I know we could all use a little more relaxation. Now, whether you're trying to chill out or just need a good night's rest, Next Evo's CBD will be your best friend. But, and this is big, not all CBD products are created equal. Shockingly, a study found that many CBD brands contain as little as 60% of what their labels promise. I've been trying out Nextevo Naturals and Movers. It's the real deal. And their commitment? Well, it's giving you exactly what's on the label. Remember, they've undergone four clinical trials, a feat unmatched by any other brand of CBD. Now, I personally adore their Stress CBD Complex Gummies. When I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed, they are a total game changer. And those nights when sleep is all too elusive for me, the triple action CBD sleep does absolute wonders. Leave summer stress behind and upgrade your CBD. Go to nextevo.com forward slash MPT to get 25% off plus a free bottle of premium pure CBD, a $50 value, limit one use per customer. That's N-E-X-T-E-V-O dot com slash M-P-T. Yeah, 100%. And I would say in my healing journey, it's forever constant. Um, however, I've gotten to great places in like the plateaus where you're like, oh, I'm completely healed. I don't feel like anything's triggering me. But it takes a lot to get there. And then there's always something that offsets that. And you have to just keep on rebuilding and keep on growing and learning. And, you know, trauma, we're forever going to learn more and more information about trauma. There is just not enough research on it. And I think it's great that you do breath work because that has been something that has really helped me to learn that I'm not even breathing correctly and I just need to take a breath out of my belly, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I do know. And that's the biggest thing is that most people don't realize they go into shock mode. So when you go through a trauma like that, you go into this <gasps> inhale and then you just hold. And that physical reaction to your body with breathing can keep you stuck in that cycle of survival. And then the brain goes and the emotions grow. And so what breathing becomes is a, a circuit breaker. 
you know, and there's so many different breathing styles, right? There is the Wim Hof's and the other, uh, the, the holotropic breathing there is, but from, from my background and my education, it really comes down to, you need to get the right rhythm and rate working okay. and you need to learn to deflate, like move yourself out of the hyperinflated pattern. And the simplest thing you can do is to open your mouth just once and breathe out and notice your chest drop down. Good. And that's much better, Tara. And often, even just once, and then go back to your nose. But what happens is we get stuck in the cycle of, okay, now what? And then it's always from the constant things around us, whether we're busy, whether we're triggered, whether we're worrying, whether it's our emotions, we go into. And so the more that we deflate, then our diaphragm, our main breathing muscle can start to do its job. And then you can breathe in the pattern that we need to with the diaphragm working the inhale and the exhale, it seems so simple, but most people just aren't breathing right. Like 80% of the world aren't breathing in a good pattern. So throw some trauma in there and it ain't going to do well. I'm going to actually push back on something. That's, this is all great information, okay. but I'm going to push back on something you said earlier. You said people don't know that they have a choice. I don't agree with that. And I'll tell you why, mm. because I think that you could say that 50 years ago, you might be able to say that 25 years ago. You can't say that now. The world is too interconnected with the internet and everything, uh, you know, social media, et cetera, et cetera. You know, unless you live in the middle of the, the rainforest and, and there was just a study that, you know, the, these tribes don't have that, 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 that worry and that, you know, they, have, they live great lives, right? Even, even mm-hmm. in their very myopic system that they live in. People refuse to accept that they have a choice because that means that they have to change. And that's the thing. They know they have that choice. <laughs> they just choose to not make that choice because it's easier because, you know, when you get to a certain point, human beings are, are we are who we are. We're not going to change, right? We might say we're going to change, but we don't change, right? Because changing something, making that fundamental change is so difficult. Hard. Yeah. It's very hard to break those patterns. You have to really, really want it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. I'm glad you pushed back. Interesting because when I went through my moment of fighting, I actually went back and it was super weird. It was like this little weird out of body experience. And I went, I know the research on this. If I change my mindset on how I'm going to deal with this, then my body's going to respond differently. If I didn't know that piece of research though, I might not have fought in that moment. So it's just still where I kind of challenge you. It's like, we don't always know that we can shift the way that we deal with grief, the way we can shift the way that we deal with our conscious choices because we're so busy in our head and in, and in the state that we're not really listening. And that's why we don't choose, is what I would say. I mean, also, you know, think about this. I was a child when my father murdered my mother. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know there was a choice. I made a choice. Yeah. I was not aware that there was a choice, but I, I knew enough to go because I did know that there was a choice. <laughs> You know what I mean? Without anyone telling me that this is going to affect me for the rest of my life if I don't do something now. It's not like I saw that, you know what I mean, on a television show where somebody told me that. I instinctively knew that. So I do know that I have that choice. Is that because of the purity of children, though, in some ways, where you don't get overridden by, like, there's certain ages and stages that we go through where then we get stuck in our head dominating. And when you're younger, and I don't, this might not be from the situation you went through, Collier, obviously but it is very much more black and white. And we're like, this doesn't feel right to us as children. This isn't right. And then we lose that as we go through our life where we don't actually listen to that intuition as much. 
because change is hard. <laughs> change is hard, yeah. <laughs> because people don't want to change, but we still know we have that choice. And that, that just furthers my, that, well, that proves my point. Well, I'm also going to- It's not easy. Do a little pushback too. I think that some people might have that awareness, but then some people, their brains choose to compartmentalize that trauma so they might not even have that awareness to choose. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, the resources. The resources is the other thing I'd say. So if you haven't got, and this is, again, I know that's hard because it's like if you're feeling really low and exhausted and burnt out or that you've got not a safety net around you, how do you fight and move forward? If you haven't got that support, it is very hard to know that you can actually take a step forward and fight for yourself or for fight for whatever you want. Our body's response isn't always that. It's actually to keep us safe. Yeah. And safety might be to not speak up. That's the safer option. Sure. My, my support was I was abandoned by both sides of my family and thrown into the foster care system. <laughs> so I had no support. How did support. you get through that? <laughs> so I had no support. No. But because I, I knew there was a choice. And this isn't like a, yay, yeah, call your pal in the back. But I'm just saying, like, the, I had, there was no role model for me. There was no like, hey, I saw this. There was no like, yo, you can do it. You can do it. In fact, it was quite yeah. the opposite. And and the and and the at the end of that choice was, if I make this choice and it doesn't work out, I'm going back to live with the monster, and he probably, I probably end up killed later on in my life, or something happens to me, or I grow up in such a level of abuse that I've already seen at the hands of this man growing up that I'm going to live that for the rest of my life. Hey, remember when 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 you tried to put me in prison for killing your mom? Hmm. So, yeah. Well, and then so I mean, was that, yeah. I was just going to say that's such a, a, like there were so many points before that then for you, Collier, right? Where it wasn't going to be safe or okay to go back, like that your body sounded like it was screaming at you going, this isn't actually an option. Yeah, there was no option. It's just like. There was no option. It's, it's, it's like, who is the, who is the, 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 the Greek admiral that burned the ships, right? Because if you have, if you know in your mind that there is not, like that is your only option, <laughs> is to move forward, yeah. right? So you're making a choice because you know that that's the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you need to get into, we get into patterns of comfort as human beings and yes. that, and, and we limit our choice because it's easier. We think, we think it's easier, but it's really not <laughs> in the long term. In the long run, you live with a lot of regret. And I think for myself, I never wanted to grow up with regret. Me too. But is that a character trait that's driven us instead? Maybe. This is turning because into I a very I... philosophical conversation. <laughs> yeah. But, but why are we the ones out here going? Because if I say to people, I'm putting out a podcast, I'm doing a new one, a Bravery Academy podcast, and they're like, why are you doing that again? Why are you putting yourself through this? I'm like, because the more that we talk about this stuff, the more that we have these conversations, sure. the more that we grow. So the people that kind of go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to emu it, I'm going to put my head in the sand because I don't want to make the choice, they might just look up. And they might just go, okay, I'm going to choose now. I, I, I know this isn't good enough. But that's brave to choose. Yeah. But, you know, and, and also, you know, people might not be aware of that, right? They, they, they're looking for role models, I think, I think in a lot of ways, because they, they cannot make that first step. 
But it's not because they, they don't think they have a choice. It's because they're just choosing not to. They want to see someone else do it. You know, it's much easier if you see somebody else with a roadmap, right? Oh, okay. I mean, you know, I mean, I'll just speak in the United States. Like, people could have gone west for years, but it wasn't until Lewis and Clark decided to, to team up with Sacagawea and, and push forward through the mountains and discover California that, there, that we had this expansion of, uh, of the United States. I mean, to get in, like, you know what I mean? There has to be a certain, you know, you know, for all, you know, for all the, the uh, excoriation that he faces. I mean, if Columbus didn't set sail and go to a new world, nobody would say, you know, I'm going to get into, I'm going to build something out of wood that's going to float, and I don't know when it ends. <laughs> you know what I mean? People are telling me it's going to fall off of something because the earth is flat. You know what I mean? I think that, I, I think that in a lot of ways, you know, the, the way that, the, the way that society, this is like a whole other conversation, but the way that society <laughs> tends to go sometimes, especially yeah. nowadays because everything is so polarized, is we've, we've arrived at a level of comfort that we don't want to get out of and we've lost a lot of ways that that sense of that desire for exploration that new frontier and that's why you see people who do that you go whoa okay wow because it's it's sort of just kind of pushed it's naturally there's been this divide because it's like okay i have my I have my home, I have my, my phone, I have my, my television, I have my things, you know what I mean, a warm meal. And we get complacent. I think complacency a lot of times is, is something that we fall into and that's become like our security blanket, whereas the, then times get tough. It's like we still want that and then we don't want to go, okay, but we have these other choices. Yeah. Absolutely. I digress, though. <laughs> well, I think it's point because it all comes down to our evolutionary biology. You know, do we feel safe or not? And what you're saying is people will choose safety and comfort, which includes the foods that we eat, the where we live, the people that we surround ourselves, over challenge that's going to push us out of a comfort zone. That is a mindset choice. And it's part of my piece of like when my recovery was, I'm going to choose to challenge myself because I know that good stress is going to help me thrive and feel better and release different chemicals and rewire my brain. So that's a choice. But people don't, there's a little bit of not knowing and a little bit of fear and a little bit of like, that just feels too hard to me for people. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I think I'm really confused and lost to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just say this. Look, we are, we are all a part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of. And we're all a part of the survivor squad. But we're all learning, right? And that's the bit that's been great to today. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Emma, tell us where our audience can find you. There's a few different ways. The Breath Effect is my business, breatheffect.com. And then I've got a few different podcasts. One of them is the Conning the Con podcast. That has been number one in New Zealand and around the world in different places. And we've hit like 2 million downloads, something ridiculous. So it's a really crazy story where I map it out. I'm really proud of what my sister and I created with that. And then the Bravery Academy podcast is launching, which is my new one to help people move through these challenges to hopefully, kind of what we talked about today, actually, how do we bring the science and the research around this to help us move into more courageous moments? So yeah, Instagram at The Breath Effect, Facebook at The Breath Effect, anywhere at The Breath Effect. And we will have links in the show notes of today's episode where you can find Emma and her sister, Sarah. Emma Ferris, thank you so much for joining the program. Thank you for having me. Well, Tara, what did you think? I think it's really cool how she went and she conned her con artist back. 
and she did all this investigation work with her sister. And I just love the sister relationship because that's something that my sister and I had going on, even though it really sucked to be preyed upon. Yeah, but you, but it made your relationship stronger when you guys united. I mean, you united against a common enemy and John Meehan and, you know, and, and figured out his, his bullshit, right? Yeah. And you met my sister. You wouldn't want to mess with her. Most certainly not. No. (laughs) Not on my best day. (laughs) (laughs) So I just love that they were able to take him down as well. And our situations are completely different in the sense, but they always do that same thing where they trauma bond. To me, with her whole story on how all the different parts and how he was like, in Australia conning people and then in New Zealand and just the the web that he was weaving, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's like internationally because like New Zealand and Australia are so close, but I mean, it is technically international. I mean, he was like a, he, he was a crazy criminal and talking about like his secret agent and all this like weird, just the grandiosity of these guys is just is staggering to me. Yeah, no, it's just, you have to really be careful out there. And it sucks to even say that. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, hey, if you guys are at CrimeCon, you can learn all about ways to protect yourself because I'm sure there are plenty of vendors going to be there. Yes, there's going to be Damsel in Defense. Damsel in Defense will be there. And Tara, you, you proudly use their products. Oh, I tested out one of their, like, things well i don't think i tested it out but she tested it out in front of me because i can't use the key you know safety they just don't hand it out to everyone you gotta sign something you mean yeah because it's it's called a taser Uh (laughs) uh-huh and they don't just give them to anyone yeah that's probably a really good thing it's a really good thing we don't want rogue people running around with tasers but yeah if you guys are in orlando florida please check us out i also want to give a shout out i am Tara, did you know that I am an uncle now times five as of today? Oh my gosh, congratulations. You sent me the picture earlier. I did. I did. Uh, Lane Zachary is my new nephew. So all my nephews are named with an L. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a common theme. Nice. Well, congratulations. You're uncle again. I am an uncle again times now. What is it? That, what did I say? Uh, you said five, but I thought I thought it was four. Well, my brother has four and my sister has one. Oh, got you. Somebody in the family's got a breed, so I'll just stick with the Chihuahuas myself. Okay. They're lower maintenance. <laughs> On that note, survivors, I'm Tara Newell, and I'm Collier Landry, and this is the Survivor Squad podcast. We'll see you. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.